Welcome to the Broken Token Classic Arcade and Pinball Podcast. I'd like to welcome everyone to this special edition of the Broken Token Classic Arcade and Pinball Podcast. This is part of our continuing coverage of the 2014 Southern Fried Game Room Expo hosted by our friends Preston and Patrick over at the Game Room Junkies podcast. In this episode, we have the audio from the Arcade Legends panel recorded Saturday the 21st that was moderated by our own Whitney Roberts. And Brent, it was a, a privilege to be able to sit in and moderate this panel I will say this, it doesn't matter how many times that you, you get the opportunity to uh, to sit and talk to these arcade legends. And Brent, when I'm talking arcade legends, I mean, we had the opportunity to talk to Billy Mitchell. We had the opportunity to talk to uh, Richie Knuckles, Walter Day, Joel West, George Lutz. David Cruz. I mean, these guys are all these guys are all world record holders. I mean, David is owning up on uh, Tron. Uh, Joel is of uh, Frenzy and Berserk fame. George Lutz, of course, Kubert, uh, world record holder and marathoner. And these guys were just fantastic. I mean, to sit across the table from them and be able to talk with them, uh, like I say, was just a kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I, I do want to thank Preston and Patrick for giving us the opportunity to do that. So I would suggest everyone, speaking of Preston Patrick, mm-hmm. that everyone make sure they check out the, the Game Room Junkies feed for additional coverage of, so- of the Southern Fried Game Room Expo. Preston Patrick will have additional coverage of other panels. There will also be uh, coverage of panels with pinball legends John Trudeau and Barry Ausler. They also managed to sit down and have a, a pretty pretty detailed discussion with Dave, David Bishop uh, of Namco. He's an executive vice president of Namco. So we can we get a little history into where Namco came from uh, in the United States and where it is and, and hopefully kind of where it's going. And kind of a special podcast, if you will, that, that encompassed... Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of your, hopefully your favorite podcasters, Preston Patrick organized podcasting after dark. It included not only yours truly, Brent Griffith and Whitney Roberts, but also Jonathan Lee Young of Arcade Repair Tips, Coast to Coast, uh, Nate Shivers from Coast to Coast Pinball was there, and of course Preston and Patrick. So we sat down for a while. It on, was fun. Oh, it was it was awesome it was on Saturday night, and kind of as the show was wrapping up that evening, and we just kind of had a free form discussion. You know, things that we've seen, things mm-hmm. that we're we're expecting to see, and uh, you, you just have to give it a listen. Like I said, yeah. make sure you check out. The game room junkies uh, feeds for all of this coverage. Yeah, all that content. We're not sure, you know, how the episode numbers will wind out because they're they're working on publishing all of that. But like I say, just check the feed; it will all be there. And make sure you also run over and you check out the arcade repair tips. They will carry coverage of the It's Probably Just a Fuse panel QA and demo that was hosted by Jonathan Lee Young of Arcade Repair Tips and Whitney and myself. Uh, we had that Saturday morning. Saturday morning, June the 21st. And that will be video coverage as well as audio, I'm sure, because uh, we recorded it. And I've been working with Jonathan Leung to get to get him copies of the video and the audio and, and everything associated with that to, uh, you know, to do the editing and the post-production on all that. So, yeah, Jonathan and Tim should have that in their podcast feed. Uh, at this time, we ask everyone to sit back and enjoy Whitney's discussion with uh, some arcade legends. All right, 
right, let's go ahead and bring our first guest down, Mr. Richie Knuckles. He is the uh, host of the Arcade Culture Web Show, star of the movie The King of Arcades, and uh, just all around good guy. Hey, thank you. Yes, sir, buddy. All right, next up we have Mr. Walter Day, the, uh, the originator of the Twin Galaxies scoring system and the current curator of the Twin Galaxies trading cards program. Thank you, Walter. Thank you. Yes, sir. All right, next up we have Day uh, Mr. David Cruz. He is a triathlete, marathon runner, and the current world record holder for Tron. Okay, next up is Mr. George Lutz. You may know him as current world record holder for Cubert and marathon gamer extraordinaire. Okay, next up is Mr. Billy Mitchell. He's been coined the video game player of the century, and he's the, uh, one of the stars of The King of Kong, and outside of that, he needs no further introduction. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and last up, we have Mr. Last but not least, we have Mr. Joel West. He's, he is uh, one of the stars of Chasing Ghosts. He's a member of the 1982 photo shoot from uh, Life Magazine. Looking thin. Joel just lost a lot of weight. He's lost over 200 pounds. Was it 300 pounds? <laughs> More like 50. Got our same wood for <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. All right. Let's see. Can I borrow one? Sorry about that. Oh, no, no, no. You're fine. You're fine. No, we, we decided to get away. Can I trust anybody? Yeah. Can see it under the table there? It's right here. No, it's right up by his feet. If we decide to. get in the I know there's something there, but I meant way over there. Everybody in the box. No, we all right there. We have a sign right up here. If we have anybody that's right. I think they're going to put Anybody we've whipped too bad. Anybody that you whipped too bad. They are. We're just next to a good place. All right. Okay, guys, I want to uh, thank all of you for you know, for attending this panel session. And uh, for anybody who was here at yesterday's Arcade Legends uh, discussion panel, we're, we're going to kind of treat this as a continuation of that discussion. We'll touch on some of the questions that were asked yesterday, but really wanted to delve a little bit deeper in, in the topics and some of the questions that, that we discussed and uh, just really kind of explore some of, those, some of the you know, further ideas there. So, Guys, one thing that I wanted to ask all of you all, I mean, you've excelled, you, you've excelled at your craft. There's no doubt about it. But what got you into gaming? Where, where, where did it start for you? Did you guys go to arcades as, as, a, as you know, younger people, the kids? Did you have home consoles? I mean, what made you want to devote time to this, uh, you know, to this industry and this profession? So Joe, we'll start with you. None of us had kids. <laughs> I, I got into it quite by accident. I just walked into an arcade and it grabbed me. Okay. Um, I was I went in I actually went into an arcade to get changed for a parking meter. It was a new business. I didn't know what it was. I'd never seen an arcade game before, and I stayed in there almost two and a half hours and got a parking ticket. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever pay that ticket? Yeah, I paid the ticket. It's only five bucks, so but uh, it was worth it because here I am today. Well, that's all that matters. And Billy, how about you? Um, I started playing in my dad's place, uh, which was just a restaurant bar, and it was always pinball. 
pinball, pinball. And when video games came out, I, I mean, I, I was really good at pinball. I just looked over and went, because I don't like new things, and <laughs> I like to stick with older things, and I just went, Ugh. but all the competition was on video games, and that's what I'm about is competition. So eventually I said, oh, okay, I got to do this. Well, uh, the very first game I did was Donkey Kong, um, simply because I couldn't get to the Pac-Man machine. So I could get to the Donkey Kong machine. And so that was the first game that I worked hard to try to get a world record at. All right, George, yeah. how about you? Oh, well, I don't, you know, I, I can't explain when, from when I was a kid why I liked them. I think it was, I don't know, it was just I was really young and it was the, the, the bright lights and the sounds, I guess, uh, sucked me in. And then once I started playing, there were a couple of the games that I really enjoyed and I just wanted to get to the bottom of the building in elevator action. And I wanted to get to the fourth <laughs> board of Qbert. And, and so, you know, but I was not very good at the games and that was a big deal for me when I was eight years old or something. And that was, that was, I can't, I really can't explain it and I feel like, uh, I see kids today getting into it, the kids when they go to like Richie's Arcade, you know, like 10-year-old kids, and uh, I don't know if they could explain it either, but they come in and they're seeing the same thing I did when, they, when I was 10. They're seeing bright lights and hearing the sounds and just getting sucked into it and seeing their dad saying, hey, this game's pretty cool, and then they want to try it too, and then, you know, so they, yeah, that's fine. Well, cool. So thank you. Hey, David, how about yourself? Yeah, I think I remember seeing my first video game in the corner store. And I really didn't know what it was, so I was just curious, and I tried it. I had seen other people play, and it quickly just drew me in because I found not only could I play it and like waste waste time, but it, it ended up not being a waste because I just got good at them and I enjoyed them, and I kept going wanting to come back for more, and that drew me to me want to look for other games, other places to play. So it just grew and grew from that first encounter. That's cool. And Walter, I'll change the question up just a little bit for you, if you don't mind, because you, you took your love of video games and started up Twin Galaxies. So if you don't mind to answer the question, but then what, what made it morph into starting Twin Galaxies? Well, there's, there's a lot of potential answers. Yeah. That's a big question. So anyway, okay. for me personally, I was in Houston. I was an oil, oil broker on the phone doing deals between Conoco and Tenneco and Tesoro and Tosco and Apex Oil and all these different companies you probably never have heard of. And uh, the person, uh, I and another person started a book called A Who's Who in the Petroleum Industry. And then one night he says, I can't do any more of this work on the book. I have to go play Space Invaders. So I said, what is Space Invaders? So we went to an arcade. We went to Malibu Grand Prix where they used to have the racing cars, if anybody's familiar with those. And I walked in there, and the place was filled with video games. The first thing I saw was a bank of 10 berserk machines in a row. And uh, I was pretty amazed. And, and uh, I played Space Invaders, and I, it just, just that dynamic energy of competition and trying to excel grabbed me on the spot. And it was a challenge to get out of the first screen to the next screen, then to get to the third screen, then get to the fourth screen. So uh, every day I started playing Space Invaders. It was a challenge. And I became very amazed by just whatever that is, wh whatever qualities that make a person become a champion. So when I traveled around the nation as a salesperson, I would look for champions on video games and I'd log scores off of machines in different arcades. And I visited way over 100 arcades in the summer of 1981. And that was really, the, the, in a sense, the spiritual birth of Twin Galaxies when I opened up an arcade in Ottumwa, Iowa, and I discovered no one was keeping track of the scores. 
I started the Twin Galaxies scoreboard, and, uh, and here we are now, 30-some years later. Ladies and gentlemen, Richie Knuckles. <laughs> well, I don't know if we're the same age or what, but same story. I think I'm much younger than you. Yeah. Um, I, I told the story earlier about the Bowen Alley. They brought in Monaco GP and they brought in Space Invaders. And I don't know why, but I forgot all about bowling and focused on Space Invaders and Monaco GP. Like I was, and like I probably called you as a, a scared young guy calling you up saying, hey, I got 9999 on Monaco GP just now. I just did it. And, you know, I was so excited that, you know, I was the only one in my Bowen Alley that was able to finish the game. And then, of course, Space Invaders was the next thing, and I just played that until I got really good. And, of course, always was the one that was the top player in the bowling alley. So it was almost like, you know, just the attention and fun. It was my favorite, too. Well, one thing I'm kind of curious about, I've, I've been collecting games for between seven and eight years now. I've been a, a classic, uh, I guess, a lover of the classics for 20-some-odd <laughs> years easily. And when I first started to get into the arcade collecting hobby, you know, started acquiring machines and everything like that. But over the years, I've, I've hit my high points, I've hit my low points. Sometimes I thought, well, you know, should I still be collecting the machines and everything like that? But all of you guys are on, are, you're performing at a completely different level. I mean, what, what has been, the, I guess, the, the, the cresta of, of your career so far, what you can consider kind of like your crowning achievement? And has there ever been a point when the cycle goes the other way and you think, man, maybe, maybe I'm kind of done or may, maybe I should just do something else for a little while. Now, I'll, I'll just kind of open it up. Well, uh, when I started playing games, uh, I had submitted uh, my scores to Twin Galaxies when I heard about them. I didn't mm -hmm. hear about Twin Galaxies for a good nine or ten months after I started playing. And I got a letter back saying that uh, I was the first person who actually ever had two records at Twin Galaxies. And um, so that spurred me on right there. Uh, the com I'm like Billy, I have competition inside of me that I need to get out, need to do something with. And so I... Channel I, some energy. That's huh? right. Yeah. So I, I kept on and kept on. And shortly after the Life Magazine photo, I'm saying within two months, I quit playing video games for 27 years. And Why? why? Uh, life. Uh, when I was disappointed because uh, certain things didn't happen that we, we thought about. we were going to Japan to play and okay. different things like that that didn't happen. And, you know, I was actually 22 years old. I needed uh, to work and uh, be serious about it. And so I did. I eventually got married and so forth. And um, so um, I, I didn't play video games again until Chasing Ghosts came and knocked on my door and said, uh, we want to know what's going on. And that got me, when I saw these guys all again, involved in it. So I've actually only played video games about four years of my life, but it's a long life. <laughs> it's a long uh, life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Billy, how about you? Um, in playing games and playing the competition and running from arcade to arcade to arcade, I, I was just getting better and better and better, and I refused to believe that there was anybody who could be as good as me, because I was playing at that such a level. So I started doing research. And when you called the manufacturer, all they did was refer you to the local distributor. And when you called the local distributor, if you guys really know what a distributor is, it's a big fat guy that answers the phone. <laughs> he says, we don't know about that, son. We just collect the quarters. You know what I mean? <laughs> just like that. I mean, you couldn't get their cooperation on anything. 
And eventually in Joystick Magazine, I saw high scores. I saw Twin Galaxies. I made phone calls and I made claims that people found hard to believe. So then I had to travel there in order to prove it. Um, there at Life Magazine, in front of what was considered the 19 best players in the world, I took what was considered the number one player in Donkey Kong, who's not here, and um, he got he got 190,000 in his game in front of everybody, and I got 849 on my first man. Um, as he says, I shellacked him. And the arcade, not a game was played, and every eye was on the screen there at Life Magazine, and that was forever the point that I, as far as competition, that I absolutely hit overdrive. And I would just continue on and on. I would travel, and there was just never going to be anybody who could beat me. I just had that spirit in me. I'd go somewhere, there's going to be six or eight or ten of us, and only one of us can win. It doesn't matter, it's going to be me. And it would happen over and over. But when we come to 1986, what we consider the close of the classic age of video games, competition came to an end. Twin Galaxies stopped putting together events. Um, I stopped playing games because I played for the competition. I don't want to say that I didn't play for the love of the game, but I didn't. I played for the competition. That went on, and it was just a dead time, what we call the dark, dark ages, all the way to 1999 when they began again. And somebody from Canada who was good at Pac-Man basically will say he had caught up to me. Uh, he was going to set a perfect score. And once again, I just wasn't going to let that happen. And so then the competition came out again, and that's when I scored, scored the perfect score. Yeah, I have to agree with Billy. It's definitely about the competition. Um, I'm pretty sick of Qbert, and I don't know if I'd play again, uh, except that I have to go for the longest marathon now because a friend of mine, John Salter, is a half hour ahead of me. So, uh, but and uh, I like uh, to my I have, my friends are great players, and uh, when we have competitions then I have a reason to practice the games. Well, it'll be like a, you know, a dozen uh, of the classic titles, and we'll have a month or two to practice up on them so we can all, you know, and, and that's, that's, then I have a reason to get better because me and my friends are playing, but really we're getting together for a weekend to hang out and drink beer and have fun, and then playing the games is just we're showing off for each other about how far we've come in the past couple months. And, well, I, I'm kind of curious, has, has, have any of you all ever ridden the cycle, I guess, kind of down the other way, where you think, it's like, I'm, I'm just done. Yeah, well, every said, day. Every yeah. day. <laughs> yeah, just a couple of weeks ago, I said to Richie, I said, you know, if I never play another game again, I wouldn't care. And he said, oh, you shouldn't say that. You're a real talented gamer. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but of course, that's, that's not true. It's just uh, I was going through that feeling. But then, you know, we're playing Kaboom on the Atari all night, and I'm trying to get into that Kaboom trance and get to 10,000 points or whatever. Well, yeah. let, 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 me, let me ask you, I mean, if, if, you're, if you're at the point you're kind of on the down cycle, what, what brings you back out of it? it because, you, you ha I mean, I, I look at my family who enjoys the games. I look at my collection. To, I get a lot of uh, enjoyment and satisfaction out of working on the games. Polybius. Polybius always drags me back in. <laughs> that's, that's the one thing that does it. You know, I, I'm just kind of curious, you know, uh, David, Walter, Richie, you know, what, what kind of brings you back out of the bad days? Um, whenever I have a bad day, if I'm playing Tron and I just can't play good, like my practice days, that you just know that it's not going to happen. So I just tell myself, come back the next day and, and I'll have a good day. And every time that always happens. I mean, I've been through a lot of ups and downs. When I was going for the perfect Pac-Man, it took me about a year of practice before I felt that I was getting close to being ready for it. Took a, a few tries at it, and that didn't work out, so I had to start over again. 
But after a while, you get frustrated and you just want to give up. And in the end, it, in, the, it. in the end, it's perseverance. It was perseverance, and I mean, I made the game my own. I went through the patterns and I just figured out what I needed so I would be comfortable with it. And I mean, the motto is just never give up. If you want something that bad, then you do whatever you have to do to get it. Persevere and just keep trying. Okay, well, you guys are, are definitely very accessible. And, and I think one of the things that, that's impressed me the most, even just being here at the expo, is to how, how much I've seen you all walk in the halls and just talking to people, shaking hands, pictures, and everything. It, I think it, it speaks well and good for you guys as brand ambassadors, so to speak, for, for classic arcade gaming and, and the legacy that you have and that you leave behind. Can you all share, I, I guess, maybe a story that has touched you over the years that you say, yeah, this is one of the reasons why I do this. This is one of the reasons why I compete, why I get up, I shake people's hands, and, and things like that. Has, has there been anything like that that just really stands out memory-wise over the years? So I'd like to use the example of the Southern Fried Game Room. Uh, stuff like this happens because of uh, just long-term inspiration of all the people from the golden age just planting roots, developing, you know, like a society, a culture, and the people who are here in this room, for instance, are good examples of the, the historical progression that's going on, the process that's going on, that all of us love the games, and we also love the community. Maybe the community even more than the games, because really, uh, a lot of us, we play the games together. We share the games. We bring the games here. This is a lot of expense, a lot of time and effort to bring your games here to this place. It also can endanger the games, too. So you're really putting a big investment on the line, but you don't care. I mean, you might, you, you do care, of course, but you're also very, very much just in tune with this big phenomenon that's going on where retro gaming is becoming a major phenomena and a major love and a major part of mainstream culture. And that's very important. So what we're doing is we're enriching mainstream culture, and it's not just our own little thing anymore. It's becoming very widespread and beloved by lots of people who maybe not even have been part of the golden age years ago, but they're a part of the growing appreciation of these games and this culture. Yeah, well said. I have a special situation, though, because it actually became not only something I loved, but then it became my job. Uh, if you guys don't know, I have an arcade in Jersey, and we do uh, primarily more so, even more than just the arcade people come in and play, and we restore the games to look like new and sell them for people's homes. And it started when I was 19, uh, because I just had moved out of my mom and dad's house, and the first thing I did is I bought a punch-out machine and put it in my living room at 19 years old, and then that grew and grew and grew until it became a business, which I'm still doing today. So I can't remember a time I really said that I'm not the luckiest guy in the world because I'm doing something that I'd love to do. So it's not work, it's not a job, I'm actually enjoying it. And uh, not until uh, the movie started filming did I actually feel that this may not be the right thing for me. And we, actually no, see the movie, The King of Arcades. Sorry, I'm telling the whole plot, I'm not gonna ruin the movie. <laughs> So, uh, Richard, while we're talking about that, uh, one question that kind of pops in my mind is, 
uh, why, why create a documentary? What, what, dro what drove you to make the movie? And, and I know that it spanned a couple of years of your life and some things, some things have changed and things like that. But when you look back on it and the work that you build, it, it, tells, you know, it tells a good story. Why did why, you, you want to tell it? See, it's not, that's not true whatsoever. I, the whole time, never envisioned this happening. I, had, I didn't make the documentary. I actually disagreed to have somebody follow me around with a camera. Oh, okay. And the story was supposed to be something totally different because what happened to me in three years was real life and he just caught everything. There's no acting in that movie at all. So you basically see my guts being spilled. And uh, he said, hey, this could be, he played it for a few people like Adam Goldberg is like big time Hollywood producer guy and he played it for him the first cut early and he said, no, tell this story. And the story completely took a different turn. And I had no hand in it. I did no editing. I just basically was filmed and whatever came out, I trusted this guy, Sean Tiedemann. He's a genius and he's one of my best friends and I trusted him that it would come out good. I said, just make everybody look good because other movies didn't really go that route to trying to make the guys look good. I think some of the movies made it look the opposite and we wanted to make a movie that was more true, true to the people's real true personalities and I hope that came through. Uh, Billy, uh, the next question, uh, it looks like you were getting ready to, to answer real quick. And I was just kind of curious, with your travels, what's, what's been one of the highlights, I guess, of traveling the world and, and meeting as many people as you have? I'm kind of curious uh, about that legacy question for you. Uh, without a doubt, it's not even close. When a perfect score was scored on Pac-Man, again, it's a perfect score, what else do I have to do? Receiving, I, I figured the phone would eventually ring. Um, having done so many interviews, countries and languages I never heard of. And eventually the call came in from Japan. And to be sent a first class ticket uh, from Masaya Nakamoto to go to the Tokyo Game Show. It wasn't quite that simple. I had to send a video of myself. Basically I had to give like a presentation. I had to send proof of what I did because their question was, can we trust Mr. Wall today? <laughs> and. Um, so Namco Japan asked Namco America, can we trust Mr. Walter Day? And they said, uh, Walter Day only speak truth. And uh, so eventually with all that, um, it led to a first class ticket to Japan. Um, and when I was eventually there in his office, seated across from him in what I call his inner circle, uh, I can't even put it into words. You say you've arrived. And what was even more impressive was as they started to fire questions at me mm -hmm. through a translator. Um, they were more fascinated that they were sitting in front of me than that I was sitting in front of them. That was incredible. What, what, what was the reception like for, for the people over there that you, that you, that you met? I mean, did, 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 they, did the company make a big deal out of your arrival? And, you know, they didn't did, make a big deal. I was on TV. I mean, I had an entourage. I was everywhere. I was on the stage in Tokyo. Yeah, I've, I've seen the um, picture. Was, You're flank, flanked by beautiful women. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, the hotel I was in must have been $600 a night. Wow. Um, they did anything I wanted, anywhere I wanted, which was good because the food was horrible. So, <laughs> and um, the amount of kindness that was showered on me by him, a very successful 78-year-old, I mean, godfather of video games, was just incredible. It's, it's, it's nothing that I could ever duplicate. Not a chance. 
So Joel, what, what, about, what about your time? I mean, what, what do you see as kind of the legacy, the, the crowning achievement there? Well, I've been more of one who likes to share what I do and, and, and bring people along. Um, I've been fortunate enough to bring four, show four people how to play games and they set world records. And that's what I like to do is pass it on to the next generation. I taught a few back the first time I played in the okay. 80s and then I've taught a few recently how to play and they've done really well. I mean, I have my moments of competition when I just thoroughly enjoy something. You know, when you, when you really get into a game, you feel it. It's, it's a presence. And in the, in the Chasing Ghost movie, we called it uh, You and the Game Are One. But I like, like Billy, trying to do things as perfectly as possible. The hardest part about playing a video game is making the playing look easy. So that's what I try to do. Good, good deal. Uh, Walter, the next question I've got for you is, and it's about the trading card program. You've, you've opened that up and, and you've, it looks like you've, you've been doing a lot more, you've been documenting a lot more individuals and getting a lot, a lot more history into the whole trading card program. Uh, what, what is the, what is the, the end goal for that and, and how can people get their information submitted and what's the, what's the criteria for, for being documented that way? Okay, well the trading card program was started uh, about three years ago and the main focus at that time was maybe honoring, you know, like the celebrity gamers who had had tremendous accomplishments, but then it began to grow and I began to realize that it was actually going to be turned into a commemoration of the history of the global video game culture. Wasn't it, wasn't it kicked off by Topps? Topps trading cards? Uh, no, Alan and Ginter actually did a few uh, special trading cards uh, with Billy and Steve Weeby, and I think that was it, just the two of you. You were the only two. And uh, so, so, but I had been thinking of cards for a long time, and, and, uh, and so finally we just started making cards in February of 2011. And uh, the idea for the cards to celebrate just, you know, video game accomplishments grew so that we could have a, uh, the cards be a tapestry of all the different people who have contributed to the global video game culture. Because a lot of people, I mean, I mean, you know, you know a tapestry is made out of many threads, and the threads together work together to make a picture. So everybody, like well, there's one billion people essentially in the global video game culture now, and somehow they do contribute something from where they are on some, you know, maybe not noticeable level, or some people are very dramatic, who are like Nolan Bushnell, or, or, or Richie, or other important celebrities like Richie Knuckles. So, uh, so essentially, <laughs> the the card set is now expanded, and we're trying to complete it. We have to complete it by December 31st, and the idea is to have 2,000 cards, and for to be the whole history of the technology, of the contributors, of the gamers, of the organizations. There's a card for the Southern. Fried, uh, you know, game room expo here, and there's a card for lots of other events, lots of people, world record events, uh, milestones in technology, and that's the vision, the capture, and and the analogy I use is I, I consider us all, because everybody's sort of involved in this, because I'm accepting, you know, ideas from lots of people for it. Let's do a card about this person, about this event, about this phenomenon, about this invention, about this game. Uh, it's like being an oral historian who goes out with a tape recorder and gets someone's story live straight from their mouth. And their story fills in some sort of empty gap in the history of that particular part of culture. 
And so by the time we're done with the 2,000 trading cards, I hope that we have lots and lots of people and events and different things on the cards that the history books will inevitably overlook. And that's the vision, commemorating the whole history, turning it into a, a trading card set, and then even trying to get it on the road as a display in art galleries and in museums. So it has a very big vision now. It's just not about people who get a high score on this game. It's about the people who have contributed to make this culture what it is. Okay. And Walter, I want to touch on one thing that you mentioned uh, at yesterday's session. You were, you were talking about uh, Donkey Kong and its, its significance in, in history. And Billy, I'm kind of curious. I want to hear your thoughts on this. Is, is, there a, is there another game like Donkey Kong waiting in the wings to, to push classic arcade gaming up to that next level? Or do you think we'll see another game like Donkey Kong? Or is Donkey Kong yet? Polybius? Would it be Polybius? Well, you're talking about classic games. So you think maybe there's a classic game that no one's ever played yet that might be discovered? No, one, one, that, pe no, no, one, one that people will gravitate towards and have, have that passion about like they do with Donkey Kong. Well, I think it can vary from game to game. We've looked and we've discussed other games that have a level, it has to have a level of simplicity that the average person can understand. Uh, it's hard for people to understand what's going on when they play Gravatar. Um, it's a, tough. Yeah, Gravatar's tough. A, a level it's of brutal. simplicity. Uh, if you're playing Joust, if you're playing Popeye, those are games that are simple, yet they have drama to them. So the public, people who don't play at all, can have an appreciation for. So we've talked about what competitions we might organize with other games that are simple but have a level of understandable drama to them. What if it was a group of games? Like, uh, you know, you've got like Billy's player of the century, he's best at Donkey Kong, Burger Time, a bunch of games, and then you got another guy who's really great at Dig Dug and Toot Commerce. I mean, you put those, and then it's like a combination. Right, well, that would be more like an Olympics. See, but you're right, and, and, that, would, and that could be, all the games then would have a, a draw. Instead of just focusing on the Donkey Kong, it's focusing on the classics and the competition. Well, you seem to be upset about Donkey Kong. You want to get better or something? What do you want to do? Yeah, yeah. You know, you're yeah, talking about He's an anti-Donkey Kong guy right. here, you know? That's right. You, you I, can't I, get more simplistic than the, really the berserk and the hardness of it. So let me just say that. Okay. <laughs> just got to toss that in there. That's right. Right. All right, we're ready to rumble. What do you got to say, David? <laughs> I used to think that I was the only person that liked Ron. I didn't think anybody really cared about <laughs> it. Was right. <laughs> but, <laughs> but as we know, I mean, a lot of people really do care about it, and a lot of people, a lot of people, actually trying to get a lot better at it, and even challenge the world record. So it is an important game, and there's a lot more games out there that people really care about. Yeah, as you as you create competition, you do bring people out of the woodwork. There were not that many Donkey Kong players before. But I always say, and I sound like a broken record to the people that heard it, nobody sits on the couch and looks at each other and says, gee, you want to get up and we'll go bowling? Nobody goes bowling. Bowling exists because there's leagues and there's organizations and there's competition, and it's all organized. Well, as video game competition becomes more and more organized, as it has more of an identity and a direction, there will become more competition on different classic games like Tron that he's talking about. It's just, every once in a while I have somebody call me up and they'll say, hey, do you know where there's any Satan Hollow contests? I'll say, yeah, let me look. I'll look up where, where it is this month. I mean, there just isn't any. <laughs> you know, but as 
things get organized, that could happen. What was that game, Billy, years ago? The guy used to do uh, back back at Twin Galaxies. Oh, it was called heard, Snapjack. Oh, there was a game called Snapjack. Has anybody ever seen a Snapjack? He'd call every day. He'd call two times a day. And he'd say, he? he submitted a score of like 700,000 on Snapjack. <laughs> and he'd call later that day, did anybody beat my score on Snapjack? <laughs> and I'd say, man, we just had a couple scores come in. They come in right underneath you, man. You better get back to it. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm going to go play. And he'd call the next day and he'd submit a score 1,000 points higher. Oh, I'd then, say, man, you're, you're barely hanging in there. <laughs> he began to drive us nuts because he'd call a couple times a day to see, and no one else in the world was playing the game. I don't know if it was in any other arcade except his. And we started saying things like, well, we got the results back from the Snapjack World Championship <laughs> in, in, in England, and you're still just barely, so. Yeah. The poor guy, whoever he is, he might still be out there playing. Like, the, like, like the other guy, the other guy who, uh, is the, is the Snapjack scores in the book? Yeah, yeah maybe yeah, well, his score's in the book. Then, the, then there was the guy who, over the Cape Fear River in, in Wilmington, North Carolina, took a game Spiders and hung it at the end of a crane and played it out over the river. And he was always worried that someone else was going to do that also and take his <laughs> distinction away. <laughs> and uh, anyway. Interesting people out there. Well, I'm curious, uh, and I'd like to hear from, from each one of you, what game deserves more attention? We talked yesterday about the games that you think just got way too much attention and you didn't really understand the draw of the game. What, what, what game is, I guess, like in your, personal, uh, in your personal list of favorites that you don't think really gets the credit that it deserves? Everybody thinks they know what I'm going to say next, don't they? Uh, yes, Berserk, but really the game I'm thinking about. <laughs> really the game I'm thinking about is a game called Chicken Shift. Oh, yeah. Right? We that all got to play Chicken Shift. great game. That is a great game. The name is fun to say. And it's dangerous to say. Yes, it is. Yeah. And that's what makes it fun. But the game is so fun to play. The chicken cackling and, and the, the hoedown music. You gotta play that game, Chicken Shift. All right, cool. How about you, Billy? Um, there's games like Kicks that are like games of logic, hmm. games like Tetris. That's the nicest thing I ever say. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I really do. I mean, as, uh, Elevator Action is my favorite classic. I think so. I would always push for that. But I always like uh, Richie gets some you know rare games or games that I've never seen before. He has this game Rescue Raiders or something recently, mm -hmm. and that's a Rescue Bally, Raider. Rescue, Rescue Raider, Bally Sente game. It's like uh, Robotron controls. One is the, the you drive, and the other one's shooting. Uh, but it's like there's this terrain. You're faster on the road, but you're slower in the grass, and you got to get you know save hostages and get weapons. It was a great game, you know. No one's ever heard of it, but what a cool yeah. game! And I want to you know, and yeah. it always gets these Bally Sente. Well, Res Rescue Raider was the sequel to. Uh, Refrigerator. I'm pretty good at that one too. Yeah. Next they question. kept that one. <laughs> Here's something very interesting. Here's what's so special about go. Richie. Richie is an amazing leader in, in, in many dimensions. And one of them is, is that back in the Golden Age, there had been no Donkey Kong World Championship. There had, no, there had been no Miss Pac Man World Championship. There had been a Tron World Championship, a Star Trek World Championship and sort of some Pac-Man championships, but never really like a world championship, I don't think. But essentially, it's an untapped possibility that Richie, over anybody else I know of, really has that on there. He has a vision for that, to do the Gallagher World Championship someday, to do the Chicken Shift World Championship someday. 
to do the Chicken Shift 2 World Championship someday. And it can be possible, but the hardest obstacle I think. the games. No, no. Gallagher's in a row? No, is people are going to pay attention when the prize money is upped. It's a shame the we need sponsors. And I've done three Kong offs. And because it was at a bar, we had Coors, we had Red Bull, we had Jim. Sailor Jimmy, Sailor Jim, or whatever that guy's name is. A Red Bull, and now that this year is not going to be at a bar, all those sponsors we don't have. So we're looking for sponsors for the Kong Off for now. When the sponsors do recognize this and come forward with prize money, we can give out. I gave, we gave out uh, close to $5,000 for the last Kong Off. So that means Kong Off 4, I've got to come up with better than $5,000 for the prize money. And that, I don't know about you guys, but money like that doesn't come easy. Five grand's a good chunk of change. If we had sponsors, it could be a whole lot more. $5,000 is nothing to, say, a deal car dealership that's up the road or something like that. So we're looking for sponsors. So once that happens, then the competitions will get more attention as it grows. Well, cool. Well, guys, I really appreciate it. At this time, I'd like to open it up to the audience for some questions. Come right down here to this wireless mic. Juan, if you wouldn't mind to turn that on. I think it's off right now. Yeah, this is where it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> you scare people. Who's a, okay, hands. Who's afraid of Billy? Okay, that guy is. <laughs> Other than me, who's afraid of Billy? All right, any questions from the audience? All right, come forward, young man. That was a little too early, so. I can see this guy is a future leader of the video. All right, time's up. Sure. <laughs> I was thinking in the top of my head, um, you know, I look up on Wiki, I was thinking about your high score, and I was wondering, what was your longest streak on Donkey Kong? Longest streak? Yes. Does it mean I've never streaked. What are you talking about? As in, how long he's, was he's the saying, score up? He's saying playing Donkey Kong naked. Oh, yeah. oh, how long were you the champion? From, From 1982 80. until 2000. 2000, 2000. in there. Oh. A little shy of 20 years. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was a good yeah, question. He got off easy. Good question. <laughs> he got off easy. Good question. This is a question for everyone. Um, I know that you all love arcade games, but I grew up in the console generation. I was wondering, what do you think of console games in comparison to arcade games? Do you think that they're worse, or do you think that they're anything like that? I'll, I'll start. You can, uh, you can sit down. Okay. <laughs> I'll start that off. I have a reputation for... I, thinking that I don't like consoles, but the, the truth of the matter is, uh, when I was a kid, I was as much into the Atari 2600 and Adventure. You guys ever remember that game, Adventure, with the dragons? Yeah, you were talking that, about that. That is where it I still play that game to this he day. He's so good at it. I've never seen anybody oh, yeah. break George saw me play. Adventure. He's so good at it. I said that I could get You know it. You think, oh, this guy with tattoos, he's great at pole position. But man, <laughs> he's, a, he, he's an adventure master. Really, really good. And just sitting down after not playing it for a while oh, and yeah. breaking the game left and right, you know, getting the dot within minutes. And yeah, I have to talk to you about the Easter egg, the whole thing. I know? broke the speed record for solving adventure, adventure in front of George. Yeah, is, like, is, is, and, and like I said, we've been playing uh, Kaboom. We've been playing a lot of Kaboom. So, you know, <laughs> What's that? Yeah, you didn't see the he, video? He didn't see it. I didn't, I didn't hold on to the video. But we have it on video. Wow. But going, going back to when we used to travel in the early and mid-80s, um, state to state playing games, um, we used to just laugh at home games. I mean, we did. And the first time a home game even approached us, was it KTEL, Walter? 
KTEL? Yeah, KTEL did. Yeah, a, and the fact of the matter is we just thought it was the silliest, stupidest, biggest waste of time, and of course we're wrong, and of course the industry went a different way, and um, the truth is there's far more technology and everything in a little tiny console game there is an entire arcade game today. It's just we look back at the blood, sweat, and tears and what the classic games built that gave way to the future. And obviously we like to hold on to the past, that's all. What about home versions of arcade games? If they're completely authentic, then that's terrific. You know, um, usually when something goes to the home, with all respect, they're, they're dumbed down a bit. Yeah. They have and, that, and that's not any fun. Yeah. That's all. Um, when I went to Japan, um, the arcades are much more of a family atmosphere. They're not hardcore competition. That's why when I went there, when others have gone there, when there's competition, I mean, we absolutely hammer them. It's not even close because they don't play games on the same hard competitive levels we do. If they did, they'd probably be as good as we are, but it's not even close. I think I'm the only uh, Nintendo and Super Nintendo player up here. And, but I, I did Not play true. up to... Oh, you too. No, no, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Oh, yeah, that's right. You shred you. I'd say, that, I'd say that I'm not going to say, yeah. We, but that's as far as I made it. It was somewhere in the middle of the Super Nintendo era, and then I started playing rock and roll. So that's... But yeah, but I'm definitely into the, the uh, Nintendo. I'm a big Zelda fan, the whole series even up to... Recently I played the Ocarina of Time on the 3DS or whatever. It was the first time I ever played it. I always thought it was going to be crap because I was like, ah, it's not going to be as good as the first three. But I blew me away. So yeah, it's... Um, Go ahead, interrupt. Yeah, I'm for it. Yeah, so yesterday I, I think I mentioned that the arcade records were important for me. And I really didn't care about going for records on the consoles. But my son reminded me yesterday that I got a, probably a few hundred ar ar um, console records because I do play a lot on the consoles. I treat them separately, but you can't get away from them. We've got another? Um, with video gaming being as big as it is now, um, both contemporary and the classic stuff, where do you think the future lies with esports? You know, that, that's kind of the thing now you hear a lot of, of commentators saying, well, you know, it'll never take off in America for this or that. You know, and overseas, some of you know, I know uh, with StarCraft and different games like that, you know, huge for people to watch. Um, what do you think it will take to kind of get maybe a circuit going um, or, or whatever it takes to kind of to, to make it worthwhile for people to, to put on these competitions? Are we streaming over Twin Galaxies right now? Are we doing that again? No, we're not. Oh, okay. No, we're not. <laughs> I was going to plug. Well, well, going back to what Richie said, first of all, it takes money. Well, yeah, okay. But the, the, galaxies. But the organizational skill or the organizational level of video games on the same level as so many other different kinds of sports, that's exactly what it would take to drive it forward. It's funny. That's what it would take to drive it forward to get the sponsors. And in order to get the sponsors, you'd have to drive it forward. It's sort of in a bit of a rut. It's got to jump out of the rut. I think that all this stuff that's going on in other countries, uh, that'll, that'll happen everywhere eventually. Because uh, eSports is definitely coming home. It's becoming real in all cultures. And more and more investors and more and more um, sponsors will pop up. Because they'll see that this is where the attention of different demographics have gone. So they're going to want to go to that demographic and try and win them over by being involved in eSports. So eSports has a tremendous future. And uh, 
for getting years. us into that mix that he's talking about. It's yeah. going to take people supporting what everybody does, all these projects, like Excellent. the new films that are coming out, the one that just came out I'm selling after the thing is over. That was a question I was actually going to ask if you have yeah. copies of the movies. <laughs> yeah, so I'll be selling the King of Arcades DVD, and right. supporting projects like that is how we'll be able to do events like the Kong Off 4, and then I'm shocked Billy hasn't said it, but yes, there is a pack off scheduled and not scheduled sorry being spoken of and organized and i'm stockpiling pan me for why and we talked about it you were not to speak of it you now owe me another pizza oh my lord yeah billy every time he says a curse and only time i talk on the phone to billy he calls so many times i don't answer the only time i'll answer is when i'm in the truck and i have the you know thing and billy will curse and my daughter's seven or if he forgets to tell me his daughter's in the car then we, we we have have if, I don't, if I don't start the conversation with Faith is in the car, Bill, then I owe him a pizza. So we're about even. I, don't think, I think now I owe you a pizza. Okay. Every time I call Richie, he starts off with, my daughter's in the car. I'm thinking, why do I care? I don't, I'm not talking like Bill Mitchell. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know, you know, you, you, uh, you Southern boys, you know, from DOS. <laughs> uh, but we do a... Uh, Battle of the Arcades we've been having for a couple years now where it's a team or you get your friends together who are into competing on the classics and organize as a group and then you could play against Richie's Arcade and there's the, uh, Ken House's Arcade out in Portland, uh, the Galloping Ghost. If anybody knows an arcade that would want to start a team, it's start a team. We do talk to us. It's and called the uh, Battle of the Arcades. Battle of the Arcades, exactly. And, Does uh, anybody out here actually have an arcade? Yeah, we yeah. have you guys. And then carry back there has yeah. Yeah. yeah, but even if you have a bunch of friends, and even if you have some games, and you put them all together for the event, and then you, you know, in, in somebody's basement or whatever, I mean, that's what uh, Steve Wiltshire, the Donkey Kong player, is going to be doing out in uh, Coin Country. He's got a team they're doing. And there's a Florida team and a Texas team going to be coming up this next time. And uh, we're working on having some European teams. We're working on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Should I? You better take it while you can. <laughs> what, what time do we have to wrap this up? Should, should, when should I make the, the two announcements? This, this, is, this is good time. This is okay, good time. Right now? Yes, okay, let me grab the stuff. And sh <laughs> so this is sort of the conclusion then, yeah. right? No more questions. I want to let everybody know that uh, after this wraps up, we will have a Twin Galaxies uh, trading card signing event uh, out at the signing table. Okay. So. Well, this doesn't quite work, does it? <laughs> What about the wireless one? What about the wireless one? Yeah, wireless one. Richie, tell them about the Twinkie. <laughs> I don't know nothing. What I'm about to show you really was not announced ahead of time, so it's being announced right now. Uh, I, we, we're contributing to this event a whole set of these trading cards, like six or six, over 600 all different trading cards. The three binders that we've done, full of plastic sheets and everything. So we're given this, and they're going to announce, I guess you guys are going to figure out how to give these away as a prize to someone here at the show. So this year, we're officially announcing that was a prize for the, someone at this event. And uh, I, guess, uh, I, guess, okay, I guess you guys will figure out how to give this away. They haven't decided how they're going to give this away, because only now we're inserting it into the program. So because so, we just, just decided. And a whole same set of this stuff we're going to give as a gift to, to Michael. What's Michael's name? Is it Michael Rich? Sure, okay. Michael Rich is like everybody's friend, and he got in the automobile accident, and he's like, he may not be able to come here because he's been in a hospital bed a lot. So we're going to give a, a whole set of all this stuff to him also as a gift. 
And so as part of this, we thought maybe all of us should get in a group photograph. Should that be done here now, or should that be done a little later someplace else? I mean, we can do it here, uh, but I probably ought to talk to Patrick and see how they would want to how they'd want to organize. Okay, that. so then maybe we'll figure that out. So, yeah. so we're going to get in a group photograph holding these. And we're going to put that photograph on a trading card. Okay, yeah. and we're going to give him the whole set. We're going to make the trading card, and you get the dice, the mix master, and the vegetable slicer. <laughs> And everything Ronco sells. But, but wait, well, only $5 more, you can get two. Okay, so anyway, that, that's, that was my conclusion, just to say that. And we're going to be taken up to the signing table. There's about 12 or 15 people here who do have trading cards who'd love to sign the cards for everybody. You get to go home with a whole bunch of cards as a gift. So that's what happens next. So thank you. And thank you very much for letting us talk and share all these stories. This is a, this is a lot of fun. This is a lot of fun. This is what yeah. makes it so much fun for us because we get to bond with all you people on the heart level. And it's not just about the games anymore. The games are wonderful, but friendship is even more wonderful. So that's all I can say. Yeah, thank you, Walter. And thank you guys for your hospitality today and your time. We really do appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. Congratulations, you made it to the end of another episode of the Broken Token Podcast. I promise they'll do better next time. Maybe next episode, they'll actually listen to me for a change. Just go easy on the guys. They don't have a lot to work with, but I know their moms would be so proud. We want to hear your feedback, comments, rants, raves, and otherwise, both good and bad. Drop us a line via email at podcast at brokentoken.com. You can also call us at 470-2-CALL-BT. That's 470-222-5528. And leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you, and we might play your message on air in the next episode. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Broken Token and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash brokentokenblog. Britt and Whitney are always posting content between the official episodes, and it's a great way to stay involved with the show between the shows. You can find our podcast on the iTunes Store and on Stitcher Radio. Just search for Broken Token and subscribe to the show. Like what you hear? Please consider leaving us a review on the iTunes Store and on our Stitcher Radio page, as the reviews help out the show. Please visit our website at brokentoken.com for articles, reviews, restoration logs, direct show downloads, and expanded show notes for this and every episode. Once again, thanks for listening. The Broken Token staff would like to extend a special thank you to the real vocal talent of the show, Christy Litzy. And that's me. Cha-ching! Music for the Broken Token podcast provided by Kentucky native bluegrass musician Gary Brewer. Please visit brewgrass.com, that's B-R-E-W-G-R-A-S-S dot com, for the latest information, show dates, and to purchase music. Music.